Welcome to Catechesis on Radio Maria. Today's catechesis is with Deacon John Bell, who is giving a catechesis on St. Philip Howard, whose feast day we celebrate today. I'm going to talk a a little about St. Philip Howard and his life, and that will lead into the celebration from our parish uh, later this afternoon. It's typical to think of martyrs as the victims of really evil people. Martyrs are good people. Those who persecute them are really evil. Actually, situations are a bit more complicated. And a martyr is just as likely to be the victim of mistakes by their own side as the victim of really evil people. The people killing you may be genuinely believing that you are a bad person and that they are being true to God. Being a martyr is being a witness to God's love in difficult situations, whatever happens to you. St. Philip Howard, as we'll see, didn't die a glorious public death. He died alone in a squalid prison cell of the effects of unsanitary conditions. In the case of martyrs, it matters not how people died, but rather how people lived. So who was St. Philip Howard? St. Philip Howard was a rich nobleman, born in 1557. He was the grandson of the artist Henry, the Earl of Surrey, who was executed by Henry VIII, in 1547. And he was the son of the fourth Duke of Norfolk. His parents were Protestant, but his mother came back to Catholicism and helped to conceal priests. And at the age of 14, because that's what happened in those days, he got married. He married Anne who was the daughter of the Lord Dacre. The trouble was that his father had been involved in a plot to supplant Queen Elizabeth and replace her with Mary, Queen of Scots. And as a result, he was executed in 1572, when Philip was 15. And that's why Philip never became Duke of Norfolk, because his father lost all his titles when he was executed and his son never inherited. However, the fact that his father and his grandfather had been executed didn't prevent Philip having a stellar rise in the court. He went to St John's College, Cambridge in 1574 at the age of 17, and a year or so later, he entered the court of Queen Elizabeth. And he was a stunning young man. He was brilliant dancer. He was very good looking. And he turned the eyes of lots of women towards him, including the Queen. And... As a result, he had a whale of a time, although 
It was rather a decadent and lewd life. So he was doing very nicely, thank you, in his early 20s, having a wonderful life as a courtier. And, but then something happened. In those days, trials of treason were big public spectacles. Kind of everybody went along to hear the trial. And one of the trials that came up was of a number of Catholic priests led by St Edmund Campion, who was a Jesuit. They had been captured, having come from abroad to preach to the English. And St Edmund Campion was a great speaker. He had been tortured on the rack. But nevertheless, he still managed to defend himself in his trial. And he was not even able to move his hands properly. He'd been tortured so much that other people had to come and give him a cup of water to keep him going during his trial. But he defended himself and the Catholic faith in that trial. And despite being sentenced to death, as were his companions, he claimed both to be a loyal subject of the Queen and also a loyal servant of God. That impressed Philip Howard. How could somebody who was being tortured and was being threatened with death still be so firm in his convictions? How could that person say those things about God, when he was sort of not terribly interested in God, really. Uh, he went to church with the Queen, but that's kind of what you did in those days. And he went back home and talked with his wife. It took nearly three years from that trial in November 1581 until he finally decided that he had to become a Catholic like his mother in September 1584. Now, that posed him a great problem because it was a law that you had to go to church on Sundays and you had to go to the Anglican church on Sundays. And if you didn't go to the Anglican church, you were fined. But, of course, it was worst in the court because you had to go to church with the queen and if the queen didn't see you there she got suspicious suspicious that you were up to no good and so philip decided that this wasn't a very good situation to be in and what he did was he decided to go abroad now the problem in those days was that going abroad was in violation of a travel ban. And the travel ban had been introduced to prevent people going abroad to fight against the Queen. In other words, if you went abroad, 
you were probably seen as a terrorist. So he was betrayed by one of his servants as he was trying to leave the shores of southern England to go to France. He was arrested, put on trial, and then he was imprisoned in the Tower of London. He was fined £10,000, which is an enormous sum of money in those days, and was found guilty of being Catholic and imprisoned. But things got worse for him because a couple of years later, the Spanish Armada came where the Spaniards tried to invade England and replace Elizabeth as queen. And one priest under torture claimed that Philip Howard had paid him to celebrate mass for the success of the Armada. That was treason. And he was rearrested and put on trial before the House of Lords. He was convicted on that evidence of the priest and was condemned to death. But the Queen never signed the order for his execution. And he died in prison some six years later on the 19th of October, 1595, from the insanitary prison conditions suffering from dysentery. And he was canonised in 1970. So were his opponents really bad people? How did it look to them? Well, you've got to remember, to begin with, that at that time in Europe, there were lots of persecutions going on between Catholics and Protestants and Protestants and Catholics. Under Henry VIII, Catholics had been killed who didn't accept the church settlement that uh, Henry VIII had established when he had decided that he was the head of the church in England, not the Pope. Then his son Edward had was a child and his guardians set about imposing Protestant practices in churches by smashing images in churches and painting over walls. When he died, Mary, his sister, came and restored Catholicism, but then she started persecuting Protestants, such as Bishop Ridley, who was the master of Pembroke College, Cambridge, Bishop Latimer and Archbishop Cramner, as well as many others. When she died, her sister Elizabeth came to the throne and she restored Protestantism and there was persecution again. But England wasn't the only country where this was going on. At the same period... France had wars between religious groups for 30 years until the French king, Henry IV, finally won in 1594. He was a Protestant, but accepted to become a Catholic, and that solved the French problem. In the Netherlands, the war lasted 70 years, with battles between the Protestant Dutch and their Spanish rulers. So 
if you weren't in favour of the prevailing religion, you were suspect of being against the government. And all this wasn't helped by plots. There were very many attempts, like the one I mentioned already about Mary Stuart being put on the throne to replace Elizabeth. Catholics were involved in that plot. And, as I said, it led to Philip's father already being executed. In the expectation that this plot would succeed, Pope Pius V had issued a bull, a rule, a rule called Regnans in Excelsis, calling on Catholics to depose Elizabeth and declare her a heretic. In modern terms, it was like a fatwa issued by the Grand Ayatollah of Iran to depose the British government. And effectively what Pope Pius V was establishing is what we would today describe as a jihad. So it wasn't surprising that Catholics were seen as subversive, as terrorists. And when Philip left the country in 1585, he was doing it at exactly the moment that Elizabeth was negotiating with the Dutch to send British English troops over to the Netherlands to fight the Spanish. So if he was going to join Catholics in the Low Countries, he could easily be seen as equivalent to the modern young people going to fight for ISIS as jihadi warriors. So the encouragement then of Spaniards to send their navy to invade England and restore Catholicism was the immediate cause of Philip Howard's trial and conviction. So from the point of view of the English opponents of Philip Howard, he was a terrorist. It wasn't religious hatred as a fear of invasion and subversion. And we have to remember that people who knew Philip Howard rather liked him. And normally, you would have expected an execution after trial to happen within a fortnight. But Philip Howard was left on death row for six years, and the Queen never got round to signing an order for his execution. There was an element of kindness to an old friend here. So... Although there's a lot of evil going on, the people were mixed in their feelings towards Philip Howard. They saw him as linked to bad people, but he himself possibly not quite so bad. We've got a bit of music, which is a music that was, was created around a hymn that Philip Howard wrote while he was in prison in that period after his trial. And it reflects on Walsingham and what had gone wrong at Walsingham. And he was remembering his visit to Walsingham with Queen Elizabeth and how Walsingham was no longer the shrine that had been wonderful before 1536, but was now a ruin. 
In the wrecks of Walsingham, who should I choose but the Queen of Heaven to be my guide and muse? Then thou, Prince of Walsingham, grant me to frame bitter plaints to rue thy wrong, bitter war for thy name. Bitter was it all to see the silly sheep murdered by the ravening wolves while the shepherds sleep in the wrecks of Walsingham who should I choose but the queen of heaven to be my guide and muse bitter was it all to see the sacred vine while the gardener's veil or crops rooted up by the swine. Bitter, bitter to behold the grass to grow where the walls of Walsingham stately did show. In the wrecks of Walsingham who should I choose but the queen of heaven to be my guide and muse. Such the worth of Walsingham while she did stand. Such the wrecks that now do show of the holy land. Level, level with the ground, the towers to wide, with their golden glittering tops pierced to the sky. In the wrecks of Walsingham. I choose but the Queen of Heaven to be my guide and muse. Where the gates, no gates are now, the ways are known. Where the press of friars did pass while the fame was far blown. Owls hoot where sweetest hymns lately were sung. Toads and serpents hold their dens where the farmers did draw.
Radio Maria and Catechesis with Deacon John Bell, who is talking to us, to us today about St. Philip Howard. It is the feast day of St. Philip Howard today. Deacon John will be telling us a bit more about St. Philip, and then you will be able to call in if you've got any questions. So I'll give you the number now. It's 0203-781-8423. That's 0203-781-8423. And if you're calling from abroad, you just need to add a 0044 and delete the first zero. So it would begin 0044-203-781-8423. And that was Walsingham Lament from a poem written by St. Philip. And back over to you, Deacon John. So that poem um, was a poem that was circulated widely among Catholics after St. Philip Howard died, and the music to it, made by a number of people, uh, was, if you like, a subversive ballad that kept the people going because it reminded them of Our Lady of Walsingham and how the pilgrimages to Walsingham had been such a part of Catholic practice up until the Reformation that Henry VIII had put in place in 1535-1536. St. Philip Howard spent much of his time in prison meditating. He accepted that he had lost his liberty, his family, his property, all he had was his dog. They were at least allowing him a dog and a bit of a fire. But otherwise, he was very much in isolation. We know from lockdown what it's like to be in isolation. And he was in lockdown, effectively, for six years after his trial, seven years in total from his arrest. And that was a long time. But the way he lived that life was to accept the loss of things for the gain of Christ. And when he died, they found on the wall of his prison cell, scratched in his own hand, the following motto. The more afflictions we endure for Christ in this world, the more glory we shall obtain with Christ in the next. That poem about Walsingham wasn't the only meditation that he wrote about. He took time over those six years to write about the four last things. So he wrote four poems, meditations, the hour of death, the day of judgment, the pains of hell, and the joys of heaven. But it's perhaps in the joys of heaven that we contain his hopes for his own self and for others. And it starts by saying, and first behold the beauty of the place 
where all the saints with Christ in glory reign, where honour is not mixed with disgrace, where joy is free from task of any pain, where great rewards attend on good deserts, and all delights possess faithful hearts. But in that meditation, he not only reflects on the good deeds of the saints, he comes back to what one would expect of somebody so enamoured of Walsingham, which is the place of Our Lady. And he talks about, O Queen of Heaven, O pure and glorious sight, most blessed thou above all women art. This city, drunk thou makest with delight, and with thy beams rejoicest every heart. Our bliss was lost, and that thou didst restore. The angels all and men do thee adore. So in his spiritual life, on his isolation, Our Lady played a very significant part in giving him comfort and in giving him hope, the hope for his family, for his wife whom he loved but couldn't see very often, for his son whom he didn't see very often at all, and for his own soul. So he was very much supported by Our Lady in all that he suffered at that time. He wasn't suffering in the way that many saints have suffered. People like St. John Fisher or St. Lorenzo Ruiz were executed publicly. St. Edmund Campion suffered terrible tortures. And his, another contemporary of his, St. Margaret Clitheroe, suffered huge pains of the pay, penalty of forte dure when her back was broken under a door with lots of stones laid upon her. He didn't have to go through hours of torture like that. What he did do was to go through a different kind of suffering for Christ, a witness to Christ day in, day out, of being in prison, of being kind to those who were his jailers, being supportive to his wife when he could see her, and most of all, keeping to his faith when it, the times would have seemed very, very bleak. And those who've been through lockdown recently, maybe they still ex have those experiences of the suffering of isolation, of feeling that nobody cares, of feeling that life has no purpose. St. Philip Howard kept going through that, showing his faith, trying in different ways, through writing poems, through doing translations, through just praying, to keep showing the faith. And it's really that that is the stuff of martyrs. 
it's not having the moment in the limelight when your body is killed. It's rather living day to day with the difficulties that he had, with the wrong that was being done to him, and yet keeping the faith with God, keeping that faith supported by Our Lady's prayers. And it's in that way that we celebrate a saint who is perhaps much more in tune with our own experience, that most of us are not going to be killed in any dramatic way, but in different small ways. We suffer disappointments, isolations because of our faith. And yet we have to keep that faith strong and supported, supported by others and supported by the prayers of Our Lady. This is Radio Maria. You are listening to Catechesis with Deacon John. If you have any questions for Deacon John about St. Philip Howard, about anything he's spoken about today, please do call us on 0203-781-8423. That's 0203-781-0423. If you've got any questions um, that you think Deacon John might be able to answer, please do contact us. And we're now listening to John Bull's Walsingham Variations on the Harpsichord. contact us with any questions for Deacon John about St. Philip Howard. I'll also give you a mobile number if you'd like to send us a WhatsApp. It's 07502 385-010. And again, if you're contacting us from abroad, it will be 0044 and then cross off the first to zero. So to call in, that's 0203-781-8423. And we are listening to John Bull Walsingham Variations on the Harpsichord.
got a question for you, Deacon John. It's not directly related to your talk. It's rather about St. Philip Howard Parish here in Cambridge because it's a, it's a modern church built in the 1970s. And I'm just wondering how, um, how a patron of a church is chosen and, and why St. Philip Howard was chosen as the patron of this new parish, if it was a new parish. Yes, it was uh, a, a part originally of Our Lady in English Martyrs Parish, but... As the Cambridge City grew, particularly towards the new open, newly opened Addenbrooke's hospital, the um, new hospital, um, more and more houses were being built. And people thought that it was a good idea to have a new parish. St. Philip Howard had been canonised in 1970 as one of the English martyrs, the 40 English martyrs. And so it was a question of thinking, well... What kind of saint can we choose? And if we choose an English martyr, well, which one is appropriate? And it was because St. Philip Howard had been at St. John's College, Cambridge, that made it an obvious one, because uh, you have to remember that uh, Our Lady and and the English martyrs, the church in the centre of Cambridge was dedicated to all the English martyrs. So you had to choose one individual, and he would be the most obvious one. Um, The only other one was St. John Fisher, and he had been chosen for the university chaplaincy because St. John Fisher had been chancellor of the university. So it was an obvious one um, to choose. Um, Similarly, uh, when it came to churches like Dis, um, they chose St. Henry Morse, who had lived in that area of Norfolk. So what people do is to look for a saint that has some kind of local connection or at least some local devotion. Um, but in, in that particular case, it was choosing a saint who had a Cambridge connection and one of those that had very recently been uh, canonised. The other area where St. Philip Howard um, has a a devotion is obviously Arundel um, because he was uh, the Earl of Arundel and uh, that's where the Howard family uh, as Dukes of Norfolk have tended to live. How fascinating. And so actually, as our radio station is in the parish of St. Philip Howard, he's actually one of our patrons. And I think we're going to have to introduce a a daily or weekly prayer to him. Um, It would be a very good idea. Um, We haven't had any more callers. So is there anything else you'd like to share as a final note? Well, um, yeah, I mean, if we look at the people of his time, uh, You've got a lot of young men and women, young women who have dedicated their lives to supporting the faith despite all the mess of politics that was going on. That there were all these ideas of deposing Queen Elizabeth or supporting Queen Elizabeth, um, executing Mary, Queen of Scots, All those things were going on in the background, but what they were concerned about much more 
was living out the faith that was true to God and they believed true to God. And so what you have is, is great courage of the priests that came over and would be hidden typically by women who kept the faith, women like Margaret Clitheroe, um, uh, like Mary Ward and others, who sheltered priests and like St. Philip Howard's own mother, would shelter a priest in the house, keep the priest fed and watered, and then let the priest move on around the county. So there would be houses like Sawston and others around, knotted around the counties of Norfolk and, and Suffolk, where the church was kept alive, often in very difficult circumstances. And it was the faith of the laity that kept it going, because they would see priests very, very little. They were the ones who did baptisms, who did funerals, uh, often at the dead of night, because they didn't uh, they only could only bury them in the Anglican churchyard, but they didn't want an Anglican service. So they would uh, bury the, the people uh, soon after their death in the churchyard um, at the dead of night while the vicar wasn't noticing. It's those kind of risks that people took because they believed in their faith. And I think that's that's something that is inspiring for us because... These days, being a practicing Christian or being a practicing person of religion, of any religion, is actually not the main thing that people do. It's seen perhaps as a bit odd. And yet what we have to do is with courage, but also with gentleness, to show that faith matters to us and that that faith fills our whole lives. And that's really what those particularly young men and women did in different ways. And they were from all classes of society. Some of them were ordinary servants who would gather in somebody's house and then go back to working in their shops or in the houses. Some were rich people who could host uh, a priest and perhaps feed them, employ them as a servant so nobody noticed that this person was a priest. Everybody pulled together in order to keep the faith going. And what's remarkable is that that period from 1558 through to 1829 was a period in which the laity kept the faith going. And that is something that we need to remember, that the church is not necessarily buildings. It's not necessarily having priests or deacons. It's the strength of the faith of the laity, keeping that faith going, keeping the faith going in families, among friendships. That's really the strength of our Catholic tradition. Thank you, Deacon John. That's absolutely wonderful. You have been listening to G Deacon John Bell on Radio Maria, talking today in our slot catechesis about the Saint St. Philip Howard, whose feast day it is today, 
and whom we shall shortly be celebrating in our rosary at 5pm and Holy Mass at 6pm at the parish of St. Philip Howard. Do come if you're in the area. If not, please do tune in online. And we shall finish with our hymn, Mary of Walsingham. Just goodbye and thank you again to Deacon John. I hope you can join us again soon for more catechesis. Thank you for listening to Catechesis on Radio Maria. Today's catechesis was with Deacon John Bell speaking on St. Philip Howard, whose feast day we celebrated today. Catechesis is live every Monday to Friday at 4pm 
and is repeated the following morning at 4am. Please join us every weekday as we delve deeper into our Catholic faith.